Okay. So, we Americans sure do love our freedom. We do. That's right. Our national anthem sings, land of the free and home of the brave. That's who we are. And because we're free, we don't like rules. Try to put rules in front of us. We're going to say things like rules. They're made to be broken. Right? Don't like rules. They don't like people telling us what to do. And you don't have to go very far on the internet to see this in action. I saw this guy. Sign clearly says no relaxing in front of the tree. There he is. I don't care what that sign says. I'm going to relax right here. That's what I'm going to do. We get our friends involved. What do you guys want to do today? Uh, go sit on the pipe, I guess? <laughs> That's not what the sign says. I don't care about the sign. Even when they seem to make sense, right? Thank you for driving carefully. <laughs> I'm going to drive wherever I want to. <laughs> Look out, tree. Even when they're kind of odd. What is this one? I don't know. If you've lost your head... Don't climb over the fence. And there he goes, doing exactly what we asked him not to do. So we get a little firmer here. We say, hey, sitting on the stairways is strictly prohibited. See how well that's working out? Put it on our product packaging. This is an after eight mint. What time is it? 7.59? <laughs> Give me that mint. I don't care what time it is. You know, it's got so bad, we don't even know when we're disobeying anymore. No signs allowed. Wait a minute. Take that down. Even our dogs can't even get our dogs to obey. It is rampant out there, people disobeying the rules, doing whatever we want. Now, all joking and funny pictures aside, you do know this, though. We are bred as a nation to want to be free, to want to make our own choices. We don't want somebody telling us what we can or can't do with our bodies, how to parent our kids, or even what kind of health insurance to have. No, no, that's the American way. Stay out of my business. I want my freedom. I don't want the government telling me what to do. I don't want teachers telling me what to do. I don't want community leaders telling me what to do. I don't even want the ref at my kid's soccer game telling me what to do. And sadly, for the majority of Americans, we don't want God telling us what to do. Now enter the serious Christian who's repented of his sins, he's placed his trust in Christ, and now he's excited, excited about his new freedom in Christ. Then he's hit with a big fat list of rules to obey. In our freedom-loving culture, how are we to think about obedience, obedience to God? Maybe you're just kind of begrudgingly going through the motions, I guess we got to follow the rules. Maybe you don't put a lot of importance on it. God loves me. It doesn't matter how much I obey. Maybe you just buckle down and suffer through it, right? 50, 60 years of obedience, and then we'll be done with it. Is that your attitude to obedience? Obedience to God does not have to be this way. Obedience to God should not be this way. In fact, obedience to God is one of the most important and rewarding and satisfying parts of the Christian life. Let me say that again. Obedience to God is one of the most important and rewarding and satisfying parts of the Christian life. So we're going to talk about that tonight, how we can transform obedience from something that's, that's just frustrating, something that's just full of failures, or maybe just going through the motions, to something, something that's, that's joyful and fruitful and brings honor to God. So why don't you go ahead and turn with me to the passage tonight we're going to pick it up in 1 John 5, 
And we are going to look at the first five verses of 1 John 5. And if you think about where we've been, because John's going to help us here think rightly about obedience, because we've just spent a couple months here at Thrive. We spent two chapters, 1 John 3 and 1 John 4, John talking about how much we are loved by God. Loved by God. We're children of Him. And we're going to see tonight how important it is that we respond rightly and lovingly obey our Father. And as you're going to see in these verses, you can't separate obedience from a loving relationship with God. So let's pick it up. 1 John 5, verse 1. It says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. Verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And notice in these verses how, how interconnected these Christian virtues are. First, you've got to have faith. First one says, everyone who believes, everyone who has faith that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. You've got to have faith. But then you've got to have love. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. got to love God. You've got to love his children. And then by this, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and what? Obey his commandments. Got to have faith. Got to have love. Got to have obedience. Like how verse 3 sums it up so succinctly. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments. There's the test. We have got to obey. And if you don't obey, well, then you don't have faith and you don't have love. If you don't have faith and love, you are not a child of God. That is how fundamental obedience is to the Christian life. That means you can't just check the box, say, hey, I've repented of my sins, I've placed my trust in Christ, I got my salvation, my job here is done. Now, if your life is not characterized by obedience to God, you're not a child of His. That means a lot of us here tonight, we've got to change our attitude, change our attitude about obedience. It's not extra credit. It's not a nice to have. It is essential. And we've got to resolve to live our lives in accordance to what God commands. Or as I put on your outline, point number one, you have got to commit to obedience. Got to commit to obedience. Got to jump in with both feet. If you've committed your life to Christ, you've got to do whatever it takes to live by his standards. No matter how hard it is, you've got to resolve to obey him. Turn to John chapter 14. Turn to John chapter 14, and we'll see what Jesus has to say about this. John chapter 14, Jesus is going to emphasize this very same point. Because many of us might say we love God, but love of God is not just an emotional experience. Love of God is not just a warm fuzzy that you get from God. Love is action, and love is commitment to obey. John 14 Verse 15, as Jesus is speaking with his disciples, notice, and notice as you get in these verses, notice how often he emphasizes this point. We're just going to pick a couple verses here over these few paragraphs. John 14, 15, here's Jesus speaking to his disciples. If you love me, here's how you know, you will what? Keep my commandments. You will obey. Jesus says, if you haven't gotten that, let me, let me say it again. Scroll down to verse 21. 
Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. Still not paying attention? Let me say it again. Verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And for the slow to understand ones out there, let me say it one last time. Verse 24, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Love separated from obedience to God is not love at all. Now, we're not saying that you have to be perfect. Right? You're still going to sin from time to time, but your life needs to be characterized by obedience because love and obedience go together. And really, when you think about it, it's really not that strange of a concept at all because we expect the same thing out of our kids, don't we? We expect that if they love us, we expect that they obey us. I fight this battle with my kids all the time, especially at the dinner table because they don't want to eat. They're like, uh, they're like camels. You know, they eat a whole bunch in one sitting, and then they don't eat for like two or three more weeks. I don't even know how they're still alive. But I have this argument with them all the time. I say, you got to eat. And they give me all sorts of reasons why they shouldn't eat. And they're pulling all sorts of tricks to try to get around it. And I find this is interesting because apparently in all, of, um, in all of kiddom, there's been no advancement in the last 30 or 35 years because they're pulling the same kind of tricks that I pulled when I was a kid. The kid comes up with, with his plate. All right, finished my dinner, Dad. I'm like, you did? Oh. Oh, you hid the food under the napkin. Ah, oh, I wouldn't have thought to look there. Sit back down and eat your dinner. If you don't eat your dinner, I say, what, you're not going to get your dessert. And what do they say? Same thing I did. Oh, Dad, you know, my, my, my dinner tummy, that one's full, but dessert tummy over here? Dessert tummy's empty. That needs food. And they come up with story after story of why they think they shouldn't have to eat and why they think they shouldn't have to obey. And I finally got to sit them down. I got to look them in the eye. And I say, look, I, dude, I don't want to hear your excuses. If you love dad, you got to understand your role here. You're a kid. Your job is to obey, to do what I say, and that's to eat your dinner. And if you rebel against what I say, if you disobey, honestly, when you think about it, that is one of the most unloving things that you can do. Yet many of us sit back here today, claim to love God, but we do the same thing. We've got our own excuses our own convoluted arguments in our head of why, for some reason, in this particular circumstance, it's justified to not obey God. We've got our excuses, sometimes fatal excuses, as Pastor Mike's been talking about. And the reasons are many. don't have time for all of them tonight, but let me give you just two. Two, really two ways Christians today justify not obeying God. Two excuses we use to justify not obeying God. And the first one is our feelings. If your decision of how to respond is driven primarily by how you feel, you're in trouble. Oh, but God, I just don't feel like if two people really love each other, even if they're the same gender, I just, God, I just don't feel like that's wrong. I don't feel like if you're a God of love that you'd have a problem with. I just feel like you want me to be supportive here. Or God, I just don't feel like that, that sincere Buddhist over there. I don't feel like my, 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 my good Mormon friend here that's truly seeking. God, I just don't feel like you'd reject them. God, I just don't feel like you'd need me to witness here. Or God, I just don't feel like, like you need my money. God, you got plenty of people in the church with more money than me. God, you know the bills I have to pay. I just don't feel like you need any of my money. Living by your feelings is a very dangerous way to live. Because sometimes you got the Holy Spirit in there prompting you to do good, but sometimes it's sin. How are you going to tell the difference? That's why you got to go back and check everything by the Word of God. you got to always go back to that. And if your feelings ever cause you or prompt you to do something in contradiction to the Word of God, you know what you do with those feelings? 
you wad them up and you throw them in the trash and resolve to obey God's words. I'm reminded of, of Amelia Bedelia. Anybody remember that book? I, was just, I pulled it off the bookshelf. I didn't know we had it, and I'm reading it to my kids, and I thought this was pretty interesting. If you don't know, Amelia is a, uh, she's, she's a maid, basically, right? And she gets a new job. She's starting to take care of the house, and the owners of the house left her a list of things to do, and then they go off, and she starts, she starts uh, checking off the things on the list. Now, the thing with Amelia is she's not, what? She's not very bright, right? right? I mean, she does a lot of dumb things. I tell her to, to draw the drapes, and so she gets out a piece of paper, and she's drawing the drapes. They tell her to dress the chicken, and she's putting, like, hat and pants and shirt on the chicken. And I'm not advocating stupidity here, but, you know, I thought, I like this attitude here. She didn't fully understand, didn't feel right to her, but she knew that the owners had left her a list. And she knew her job was to do what was on the list, and so she did her best to obey what was commanded. And really, as I thought of that, you know, we would do well to follow that example. Toss your feelings aside and do what's on the list. Do what's on God's list as laid out in his word. you got to resolve, don't let feelings be an excuse to your obedience. But there is a second way, a second way we justify not obeying God. And that's just to minimize the importance of it. We say, you know, sin... It's really not that big of a deal here. I mean, well, maybe things like murder and stealing and lust, sure, that's, that's a big deal. But we create a whole list of, of respectable sins, as Jerry Bridges calls it in his book, sins that we somehow convince ourselves they're, they're not that big of a deal. God really doesn't care that much about those. He doesn't get that upset, does he? And we sit in our Thrive accountability groups, and, and maybe we're ashamed to speak of the lust that's in our hearts. Well, it's easy to throw out those, those respectable sins, right? Sins like, like anxiety. And it's easy to say to our Thrive group, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, sure, I, I worry a little too much, right? It doesn't sound that bad. But anxiety and worry, man, that's an affront to a sovereign God. You're basically telling God you don't trust him. And that's bad. Or it might seem easy to say, I got a little discontentment. Eh, the job's a little bit of a pain. Marriage is a bit of a struggle right now. I got some dis- discontentment. Eh, no big deal, Right? No, but you're doubting God's goodness. You're doubting God's plan for your life, and that's bad. It doesn't matter what it is. It's pride, vanity, anger. None of these things are okay with God. There's there's no such thing as a respectable sin. All sins are serious because they're sins against a holy God. You're putting this together. Obedience to God is a big deal, and you got to commit to obeying God. Commit no matter what might need to fight how you feel, might be hard, might even involve some sacrifice. My mind immediately goes to Abraham and Isaac. You think it was easy for him when God said, hey, take your son, your only son whom you love, and sacrifice him. You think it was easy? But Abraham proved faithful. And I wonder about all of us. Do we prove faithful at obeying God when there's, when there's sacrifice involved? When you need to sacrifice your time to serve in the kids' ministry on the weekend. Maybe you need to sacrifice your job. Maybe you need to go to your boss and say, boss, I need to leave early this Thursday. No, in fact, I need to leave work every, early every Thursday to get to thrive and be consistent there. Or do you sacrifice your pride when maybe you know you've said something stupid to your spouse and you know you've got to go and then humbly ask for forgiveness? Do you do it? Do you sacrifice your reputation and witness to that coworker or that neighbor, obedience in any of these areas is not optional. 
You've got to resolve to get rid of your excuses. No matter how hard it is, no matter how much sacrifice is involved, you've got to commit. You've got to commit to obey. Now, somebody out there might, might throw a flag at this point and say, well, hold on a second there. You said, you said at the beginning of the lesson, you said you were going to make obedience sound better. This just sounds hard, right? Dude, you made it worse. Well, let's go back to our passage, 1 John 5, and let's pick it up in verse 3. Because in 1 John 5, 3, really says something amazing. Because despite all the difficulties, despite all the sacrifices that's involved in obedience, look what, look what 1 John 5, 3 says. We'll pick it up at the beginning of the verse. It says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. We've read that, and here it comes. And his commandments are not burdensome. God's commandments are not burdensome. You might say, sure feels that way to me sometimes. But the more you know about God, the more that you grow in your relationship with him, you're going to find that obedience becomes not only, not only achievable, but it becomes joyful. So point number two in your outline, let's get this down and we'll explore it further. You need to learn to obey joyfully. Learn to obey joyfully. Because if you can just learn this, just, just imagine, imagine with me how different your life would be. Every day you get up in the morning and you're excited and you're motivated to do whatever it is that God wants you to do. How different would your life be? That's, God, that's how God designed it. He doesn't want you to, be, to obey begrudgingly. He doesn't want you like my kids when he says, hey, Come here and brush your teeth. Ah, I don't want to. I say, hey, get here right now. You get a spanking. And they, and they walk like 0.1 miles an hour. Smell <laughs> this? I'm coming, but I'm not happy about it. Now, that's not how God designed it. He didn't design his rules that way. They're not burdensome. They are a joy to follow. Well, how are they a joy to follow? Well, again, let me give you two reasons. This, this time, two reasons God's commands are not burdensome. First, God's commands, God's laws are good. They're not burdensome because they're good. They're good laws with a good purpose. They're there for our benefit. And if you recognize that fact, it's going to be a joy to obey those. Turn to Matthew, Matthew 11, verse 28. Matthew 11, verse 28. Let me give you a little bit of background as you're turning there. Because the people of Jesus' day were forced to deal with laws that honestly weren't so good. Forced to deal with the Pharisees. You know anything about the Pharisees? You know, they were, they were placing burdens on people that they were never willing to bear themselves. People of Jesus' day forced to deal with unjust laws, with hypocritical laws. God's law, very, very different than that. Look what Jesus says about his laws and obedience in Matthew 11, we'll pick it up in verse 28. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is rest in obedience to God as you surrender to his will and obey his laws. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. We can, we can learn from obedience. We can learn from the law and find peace as we get to know God better. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. God is going to deal with us gently, lovingly, never asking us to do anything that he wasn't willing to first do himself. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden 
is light. My yoke, obeying my commands, that's an easy thing. And the connotation here with easy is that it's, it's, it's well-fitting. Because you see, when you obey God, you are doing exactly the thing that God has designed you to do. And then you see God's laws coming alongside you, instructing you how to do whatever it is that God wants you to do. Put a verse on the screen, you know this one, right? Psalm 119, 105. Your word, it's a lamp to my feet and it's a light to my path. It helps me understand how to make decisions. When you obey God's laws, when you do what's right, there's joy in living for God. When you come to see God's laws as instructions, useful, showing you how to live for God. And you're going to cling to those instructions. In fact, if you try to live your life without God's instructions, it's not going to go well. I'm reminded a couple years ago, I tried to uh, build a barbecue in my backyard. <laughs> tried. You can see where this is going already. I tried to build a barbecue in my backyard. And this company, barbecue company, in order to save, I don't know, like a few pennies, decided, I don't want to print the instructions in a bunch of different languages. We'll just print the instructions in no languages. Right? We'll do it all with like pictures and arrows. And if something's important, we'll put like an exclamation point in front of it and some big eyes, little face looking at it. And I'm staring at these instructions and I'm thinking, I don't get it. Right? I got the big eyes looking at me. And I hated those instructions. I don't understand what you're telling me to do. Instructions weren't useful. So I ripped them up. I threw them away. I said, I could build this myself. It's all crooked, doesn't light, flames shooting out of the side. It was, it was horrible because I had instructions that were messed up. And then I look over here at my five-year-old son and he's got a pile of like 200 Legos. But he's staring at those instructions for hours. Because he knows if he follows those instructions, he's going to end up with something pretty cool. So he loves those instructions. He follows them closely because he knows that they're there for his good. And they'll help him achieve the desired outcome. Star Warship, whatever it is, right? If we approach God's laws that way, they're not going to be burdensome. Because they're good laws, they're instructive. They show us how to live. They show us how to get the desired outcome, a life that's pleasing to God. If you follow God's laws, you understand they're good laws, it's going to be a joy to obey. But there's a second reason obedience to God is joyful. And that is because we love him. And when you love someone, doing something for them is a joy. If you truly love God, you're going to find it easy to obey. You will, because you realize you've got a father that gave his only son for you. And you've got a son that was willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice so you could live with him forever. And if the father or the son asks you to do something, ask me a joy to do that. Why? Because we love him so much. It's like Jacob, he worked seven years for Rachel, right? Seven years. What did Genesis 29 say? Seemed, like, seemed to him like a few days because he loved her so much. That's how it works. Love, relationship, familiarity, these things make obedience easy. It's just human nature. What's this monumental task to do for a stranger? That's, that's easy for a loved one. I was reminded of this because we, um, we got a ring on our doorbell the other day. I opened the door and there's this high school kid standing there. I don't know who he is. But I, I do know there's a bunch of high school kids on our street, a bunch of college-age kids, and I'm like, oh, maybe it's a neighbor's kid. Open the door, hey, what's up? No introduction at all. All I get is, hey, can I, uh, can I borrow a soccer ball? <laughs> okay, you want to come over to the garage? Come over, give him the soccer ball, expecting some story about why he needs it. No story, 
just takes the soccer ball. I'm like, hey, um, my, my kid's got soccer practice tomorrow. Can you bring it back by tomorrow? All right. And off he goes. <laughs> tomorrow comes, no soccer ball comes back. Now I'm annoyed, right? And now I'm thinking, maybe that wasn't a neighbor kid. Maybe that's just some dude pulling a prank thinking, I wonder if I can get a random stranger to get me a soccer ball. <laughs> and I'm all annoyed. I'm annoyed at this kid over what? Over a soccer ball, right? Which finally did come back, by the way. But I don't know this kid, and it's hard to even part with a measly little soccer ball for some stranger neighbor kid. But my wife in danger? Man, my wife's in danger. I wouldn't hesitate to lay down my life for her. One of my kids needs a kidney? No problem. I know them. I love them. It is easy to do things for them. If you just take some time and realize how much God loves you, how much God has sacrificed for you, and how much you love him in return, it will be easy. It will be a joy to obey. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, you know, Ryan, that's, that's great in theory, but I don't, I don't live in theory. I live in the real world, and in the real world, it does not work like that. In the real world, we have distractions. We have obstacles. We have things that get in the way. And it's hard to obey at all, let alone obey joyfully, when there's so much opposition. When, when evil appears insurmountable out there, and the temptations are, are irresistible, and I'm tempted just to, tempted to throw in the towel, I'm tempted to give in. You've got to always remember one last point, that in Christ, we can have success. But look, look back one more time to 1 John chapter 5. Let's pick it up in verse 4. It's on the side of your outline right there. It says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. We've overcome the world and we can have victory. Who can have this victory? Verse 4, everyone who has been born of God. When the going gets tough, when the opposition seems too hard, trials seem too difficult. Point number three on your outline, you need to know that there is victory with obedience. There's victory with obedience. If you're a child of God, you are not going to fail because he is not going to let you fail. Now, this victory has overcome the world, as verse 4 says. Now, you look at that at the end of verse 4, that verb. The verb in Greek, Greek where it says, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. It's in the, it's in the aorist tense, which doesn't mean anything to me, but when you read it, it usually means it connotates past. That's why it says victory has overcome the world. It's a victory that's already been achieved. Jesus has already defeated every enemy. And our victory is in faith. Faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And now things like sin and death no longer have any hold on us. We belong to God. But this victory of ours, it's not just in the past. This is a victory that we can experience each and every day. Because you go back to our passage, it says overcome two other times. Because everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And who is it that overcomes the world in verse 5? It says overcomes because this time it's in the present tense. Meaning this is a victory that we can experience every day as we go through life. This is an ongoing process. So as we face the, the moral pressures of the world and, and the lust of our eyes, the, the allure of the world, we know we can overcome that temptation because Christ never gave in to any temptation and through him, we can have the power to fight temptation. Or as we fight intellectual battles, false teachers out there that are assaulting the gospel. 
Science that's going to disparage the creation account. That will even try to call into question the very existence of God. But we know Christ had an answer for every argument. And through him, through his power, we can too. Or even if we face physical battles, persecution. We know Jesus stood firm in the face of that as well. Like he said in the garden, not my will, your will be done. And through the Holy Spirit, knowing that we've got the power to do that as well. We don't have to walk around scared or defeated. Scared of sharing the gospel. Scared of temptation. Scared of opposition. With Christ at our side, we can overcome the world each and every day obeying God. But this victory is not just past. It's not just present. This victory is future as well. Because you can't have a discussion about victory without turning your eyes to the great and glorious day when Christ returns. And that awesome day when we will stand with a victorious Christ, when he comes back to conquer the world. Colossians 3, 4, I put it on the screen. When Christ, who is your life, appears on that great day, man, you're going to appear with him in glory. And what a motivation it is to know, man, we're on the winning team here. Our obedience to God, it's going to be rewarded. Because God's going to reward those who faithfully obey him. That's what Scott taught us last week. The beam of seed of Christ are going to be rewarded if we obey God. And when you know that your obedience is going to be rewarded, that's motivating. My kids, my kids got no interest in picking up dog poop. They don't. Honestly, they don't enjoy it, and there's really other things they'd rather be doing. While we're on the topic, they're not too clean on, keen on cleaning the toilet. They're not even big fans of making their bed or cleaning up their toys, but they do it. They do it because they know that if they finish their chores, they're going to be rewarded. To finish their chores, they get to play Minecraft on our phones, which is a game I'll never understand the appeal of, but that's a different illustration. But they know that at the end of the week, they're going to get their allowance, and they're motivated by that, and so they obey. When you obey God, that is rewarding. Because you know you're building up eternal treasure. You're advancing the kingdom of God. You're lovingly obeying your Father. Have you ever done something really great for God? Have you? Have you ever done something where you look back at that and you go, oh man, wow, look at that. God was really in that. Have you ever done something like that? How did that feel? It felt awesome, right? I mean, that's something you should be experiencing all the time. Overcoming the world each and every day, obeying God. You had to always be challenging yourself to do something great for God. We've talked to many of you over the years about setting godly goals for your marriage. You ever done that? You get to the end of the year, you look back, and you see the things that you've done for God in your marriage that year? How did that feel? It's motivating. You do this right. You take obedience seriously. You're going to experience victory each and every day, and you're going to be able to say, like Paul did in 2 Timothy 4, when he stand before God, man, I fought the good fight. I, I finished the race. I've kept the faith. I know, God, that you've got a reward stored up for me. Man, this victory with obedience... I stood before my wife on our wedding day, and I made some vows to her. I vowed I'd be a faithful husband to her. I vowed I'd be a leader in our relationship. I'd love her as Christ loved the church. I promised I'd always care for her. I'd always support her in any way I could. I would always love her with all of my heart. And I've obeyed those vows for the most part. It hasn't always been easy. It hasn't always even been fun, honestly. I've had to commit to obeying those vows. I had to commit to setting aside my own desires, my own selfishness, 
But you know, I, found, I found joy in obedience because I love my wife so much. We've, we've been married over, over 12 years now. And I've had victory with God's help in, in obeying those vows. And you know what I've ended up with? I've ended up with a deeper and a richer and a fuller relationship with my wife than honestly I would have ever thought possible before. If that's true of your spouse, and I know a lot of you have experienced the same thing, how much more is that true with God? So I just pray that you take these verses to heart and you understand the potential of what, of what obedience can be in your life. If you do this, if you commit to obedience, do whatever God asks you to do, throw away those excuses, you're going to do it. You're going to find joy. You're going to learn to obey joyfully. Just joy in serving a loving God. He, he gives us good rules. And finally, you're going to be motivated by knowing that there is victory in that obedience. Each day, God's strengthening you, helping you, coming alongside you, deepening your relationship with him, knowing that you're going to have victory not only each and every day, but you're going to end up before him one day, and you will be rewarded for a life of faithful service to him. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. God, I thank you so much for being such a good and such a wonderful God. We've talked about obedience not only being important, but being joyful. And I know that it's, it's a joy to obey a God that loves us so much. And I just pray for everyone here that, that as, we, as we ponder these verses, as we discuss these in our small groups, we may understand not only how to, how to put obedience to you at the top of the list, but how to really find our ultimate fulfillment in you and find joy in the ins and outs of serving you each and every day whether it's at church or whether it's in our jobs, whether it's talking to our neighbors, whatever it is, that we get up excited each day, excited about what you're doing in our lives and excited about what you want us to do. And then finally just help us to be motivated, knowing that you're not going to forsake us, you're not going to leave us, but you're going to empower us and you're going to be right there with us, giving us victory. Victory not only over sin and death and our ability to, to live with you one day, but victory each and every day as we fight these battles, knowing that you're right there fighting alongside of us. So just pray that we have a profitable discussion in our small group right now and we come away from this night just with a better, better understanding and a better appreciation of what it means to obey you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.